Well, I'm delighted to say that to joining me on the Godcast today is uh, Dave Lucas. Now, Dave is a one half of the ordinary office, so we'll find out a little bit more about that in a moment. Dave, welcome to the Godcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Whereabouts? Uh, where's home for you, Dave? Are you up it's in the northeast? Jarrell, yeah. Be Beads world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll perhaps uh, ask you a little bit about that in a minute. But first of all, Dave, just perhaps tell us a little bit about the ordinary office. There are lots of people who, on uh, who who watch and listen to the Godcast who might not be familiar yeah. with it. I, I I've always said some some form of daily office. Um, I spent four years training for the priesthood in the Catholic Church, uh, where I read from the Catholic breviary every day. Um, then I was part of the Northumbria community and used what was known as Celtic Daily Prayer. What became it when I was involved, there was no actual formal community. It was just a bunch of mates doing stuff, and and Celtic prayer evolved out of that. But it got to the point uh, about six, seven years ago, where my sight had deteriorated so much that using any kind of office book, you know, where you've got the marker ribbons and you've got a, a reading in one section and a psalm somewhere else, and it was just getting too difficult for me to do. But I was missing not being able to do it. And then I started talking to, at the time I was working with Disability in Jesus, and I was I was talking to other people with other disabilities who were all saying they missed having an office. So people with learning difficulties and things wanted something more simple. People who used symbols wanted something with symbols. And so we decided if we put it online, with so it's online, so there's morning, midday, evening, night, and nocturne prayers. They're there online. They're there in text. They're there in symbols. They're there in um, audio and video. So you can you can take your pick, you can say it which whichever way you like. And there's an Amen button on the website. So when you finished saying it, you click the Amen button, and the idea is that it lets other people know that someone's been online saying the same prayers as them. One of the things I really love about it, I, I get up in the middle of the night to do nocturne and to see people who can't sleep and watch that Amen count go up. Yeah, as people click on during the night, I love that. Um, and when we first started, I, I thought, you know, if we get twenty or thirty people a day, um, I'd be more than happy. You know, in where some days we're getting a couple of thousand. Yeah, um, so I'm amazed by it. It really just shows the power of a of a digital parish, doesn't it, Dave? You know, and the ability to reach beyond the the walls of a of a church. Were, were you um were you quite um internet savvy or did it did it no I wasn't at all. I'm, I'm still not that internet savvy. <laughs> um but I, I know enough to get by, you know. I am a user rather than a you know a, a techie. Yeah. And where did your Christian journey start, Dave? Are you, have you been a, a I, I was brought up in a Roman Catholic family. Um yeah. Like I said before, at at, at, um, at 20, I went into a seminary with a missionary order, uh, the Holy Ghost Fathers. I went, went to a missionary institute in Mill Hill, and I was there for four years, and I'd been ordained a deacon, and I was just a few weeks away from full ordination. Um, when there was 
abuse going on that I knew about in the community that I would be living in once I was ordained. So I went to the principal of the order and I told him what I knew. Uh, and he told me to pack my bags and go home. <laughs> so that was the end of that. Um, my mum and dad were at that point, well, always were, but but my mum and dad were very staunch Catholics. And dad didn't believe what I was telling them about what I knew was going on. So I came home to the Northeast, but my dad wouldn't have me at home. Um, so I... I bummed around for a while, staying on friends' couches and stuff. And I got to know um, Andy Rain and John Skinner, who were two of the founders of the Northumbria community. Uh, I was a musician. They wrote me into playing guitar and writing music with them and things. Um, and I hung around that for a long time. Um, I didn't go back to a Catholic church. I'd left the seminary in the January 83 and in the July that year I met the girl I'm now married to we've been married 37 years this year um she was a brat Denise was a brand new Christian she'd only just started going to church and the order that I was with were putting it about that the reason that I'd left was that I was already seeing Denise while I was in the seminary which wasn't true and it hurt her deeply mm. Um, so I just wouldn't get involved with the Catholic Church for a, a long, long time. And then through early 2000s, um, I met Bill Bravner, who was the rector of Anglican rector of Jarrow, and he suggested I try out his parish. And so I got involved with the Anglican Church then. Dave, just going back there a bit, I mean... Uh, when you describe what happened, you did it uh, with a laugh. I, I'm guessing that was an ironic laugh. When it you... was a horrible time. It was it was an awful experience, and it and it's one that you know thirty odd years on still has sort of some you know ramifications even now. Um, I'm doing bits of work with uh, Loud Fence at the minute. Um, here in the the Catholic diocese, my home Catholic diocese. Um, and I'm bumping into people that I haven't seen in you know thirty forty years. Yeah. Um, who are still under the illusion that you know I, I left the seminary because of Denise. Um, so it's you know it never leaves you this stuff. I think you know as as um, we talk about historic abuse, a lot of people just don't want to talk about it, do they? They want to kind of just uh, uh, say sorry and move on quickly, kind of thing. But but. You know, at the time, I guess it was quite traumatic. Was it? Was it physical abuse? You, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got, I've got a couple of friends who are. I mean, I'm coming up sixty-four. I, I've got a couple of friends who are a bit older than me, who are sort of very late sixties, early seventies, who who suffered abuse in in seminaries. And you just need to spend five minutes with them to to, to see how damaged they are. You know. That they're never over it, and it's just horrible. And that, and that that experience of kind of effectively being kicked out of something that you took very seriously and that was a vocation for you and was a calling from God. What what are, what are the lasting the lasting impacts of that upon you, Dave? Awful, because because I I always felt 
that that sense of calling. And because I come from a you know Roman Catholic background, the only the only way you can interpret that within the Catholic Church is to become a priest. You know, um, so I I felt that you know that was close to me. I'm I'm very happily married, and I'm I'm sure that was the right thing. Mm. Um, but for years, like I wouldn't even consider going to an Anglican church because it felt like betrayal. You know, it it felt like I was turning my back on the Catholic Church altogether. Yeah. Um, I tell people Catholic Catholicism is a bit like Judaism. It's a, it's not just a religion; it's a culture. You know, I went to Catholic schools. All my mates were Catholics, you know. Um, there's a strong Irish connection in, in both our families, and, and there's all of that. Um, so you couldn't just walk away from it. Um, and, and to be a whistleblower, Dave, and for that to fall on deaf ears and and to be turned away, was there ever was there ever any ramifications for that? Was there any kind of you know, or is, it, or is it just there historically now? It's 15 years later. Um, one of the people that I reported actually did time for it, but it took 15 years. Um, and then the guy who threw me out of the seminary um, got in touch just a couple of years ago, wanting to have a chat, and, and I just couldn't deal with it. I just said, no, thanks. Did you get help with with that whole thing, you know, or did you have to no. do it? <laughs> no, I've just muddled through, you know. Um, I've had other, you know, during all that time, I've been dealing with my sight loss as well. And, and you know, I've kind of had bigger things to worry about, really. Um, yeah. And when, when you eventually turned to the Anglican Church, Dave, was it a place of welcome? How, you it know, was. That... It was very much so. Very much so. And and still is, you know, but 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 it has the same issues. I, I kind of came into it very naively thinking that, you know, the issues around abuse and things did didn't exist. They were a particular to the Catholic Church. And they're not. And that's been quite a shock to me. Um I'm heavily involved in this campaign at the minute about safeguarding. Because it's just it's horrible the way people people are dealing with each other. Yeah, tell us about your involvement with the safeguarding, Dave. Um, I've become friends with um people like Martin Percy, Martin Sewell. Um, I used to when I was with Disability in Jesus, we used to go to the York Synod every year with our exhibition stand, and I used to meet all all of these people there, you know. Uh, and and just listen to what was going on, and met lots of survivors. At, Synod in York a few times. And and it just echoed so many of my experiences, you know. And then what's happened with the ordinary offices, we've now got like 21,000 followers on Twitter, which I'm amazed by. And it started out as a as an aid, you know, like I said, to to help people who were struggling to read an office. But it's become a kind of place of exile for all kinds of people who feel disenfranchised from mainstream churches for lots of reasons. So we've got like a, a strong gay following, we've got a strong BAME following, a strong disabled following, and a strong survivor following. And I think 
the common ground for all of those different groups is that feeling of being somehow outside. Yeah. Shut out. And and what's your kind of, you know, when you look at the Church of England in 2024 and, and its response to safeguarding, are you are you disenfranchised from that process? I'm, I'm, I struggle because we know some wonderful Anglicans and you just need to sit on Twitter for, for a couple of hours and you, they're all there and there's lots of really wonderful Anglicans fighting for justice on this and, and not just justice for survivors but to make it safer in the future. So there's a lot of good people out there that as individuals, it's great. But but there's something that, that seems to happen when we get into the institution of the Anglican Church that it just sort of goes a bit weird. Um, for me, I mean, I spend my, you know, my, my, my working life, I used to spend um, disability equality training. And for me, I think it stems from the issue of the established church of the nation um, having opt-outs to equality law. And therefore, it does not realise just how far secular world has moved on equality. Yeah. And when when the Church of England talks about equality, they're talking about a completely different beast to what the secular world means by equality. Um, and I kind of think we need to get real. We, you know, when... When we talk about declining numbers in the Anglican Church, I think that the current generation or the most ethical generation has been in a long, long time. Yeah. Highly ethical. And they look at the Anglican Church and they say, this place is, is corrupt. And they're not walking away from Jesus, they're walking away from the church. Yeah. When I am, um, you know, I've been very fortunate, Dave, throughout my life where, I haven't been directly impacted by a disability. Uh, my grandma, who died a few years ago, uh, spent the last few weeks of her life in a wheelchair and I had to take her just across Burnley on a couple of occasions. And, and just in that very brief experience, I realised how difficult it was just pushing a wheelchair from A to B, getting out yeah. of the car, getting it to the shop, getting it to another shop, going up the pavement, how uneven the pavements were. Yeah. And 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 you you're a gentleman that was uh, fully sighted uh, for a large period of your life. Just tell us if you could the the change from being an able-bodied person to living with a disability. And it was you, know, you talked was about sudden. Dave. You talked about the the struggles with um, safeguarding and and uh, you know intimidation and bullying in the church. But this is a, this is something else that you've had to deal with as well, isn't it? It stood my life. On its head, I, I used to um, manage a bunch of bakeries um, all over the country, 120 bakeries all around the UK. And I was doing, I was driving and I had a company car and I was doing sort of 50, 60,000 miles a year. And I had a near miss one day on the motorway and I knew it was my fault. I just hadn't seen this car coming up on, on to the side. So I made an appointment with a consultant um, and he said, you do know you're losing your sight, Dave, don't you? And I said, no, this was on a Wednesday morning. Um, How long ago, Dave? How long ago was this? 
this was 1987, I was 27. Um, and this was a Wednesday morning. He said, I'll give you till Friday. If you haven't voluntarily handed your driving license in by Friday, I'm going to have to report you. You are not safe. So I went into work the next morning and told my boss what was going on. His response was, give me your car keys, clear your desk. And 20 minutes later, I was standing out in the car park without a job. I'd just got married. I'd just bought a house. <laughs> and it just, you know, my whole world fell apart. And for 10 years, I just wouldn't talk about it with anybody. I was really angry about it. Um, it got to the point where I knew my, my wife was really struggling and, and was probably on the verge of leaving me. So I knew I had to do something. But I didn't want to be helped. I didn't... For me, there was a stigma about being blind. And I thought I was hiding it. I thought I was managing to hide it from people, but it turns out everybody knew, <laughs> but I didn't know that they knew. Um, but it got to the point where I couldn't walk down the street without, like, I've got no peripheral vision. So if somebody's coming out of their garden gate, I'll walk into them because I can't see them coming that way. Somebody opens a car door on the other side, I'll walk into that, can't see it. And I was crashing into people all the time and they were making comments like, you know, are you blind or what? And, and worse than that, you know? Yeah. And I knew I had to do something, but I didn't, I still couldn't cope with the idea of being seen as blind. So I, I went and made inquiries about what would happen if I went on the visual impairment register without letting my wife Denise know that I was looking into it because she's a nurse. She would have held me to it if, if she'd known. So I, I, I wasn't sure I could deal with it. So I went and found out about it. And it got to the point where guide dogs offered me the chance to go and have an assessment for a guide dog at which point I had to tell her. Um, what swung the whole thing and changed my life completely. At that point, I was heavily involved in the whole Northumbria community stuff. Celtic Christianity was a big thing for me. And um, they brought this dog out to meet me, my first guide dog. And um, they said, um, this is your dog. He's called Abbott. <laughs> the idea of me being led by an Abbott, I just thought, <laughs> you know, I can, I can remember sitting and looking at the ceiling and saying, okay, God, I get it now, you know. Um, and, and Abbott changed my life. Abbott right. taught me that, that, like, being blind is not the end of the world. No. In fact, I, I tell people now that my blindness informs my faith. Yeah. But at the time when it was going on and you were losing... I spent 10 years just telling the whole world to F off. Yeah. Did you it... Know, you say now it informs your faith... What did it do to your faith at the time? At the time, it was awful because all my church I was, I was, I was so angry, and I was like, I was drinking a lot, I was swearing a lot, I was going from. As my sight kept getting worse, each time it got a bit worse, I, I was able to do a bit less. So my, the kind kind of work I was being offered was getting more, more and more poorly paid. And I was getting more and more angry. And all my church friends were, were just kind of, look at that angry bloke, you know? We don't want to be around this anger, you know? One of the things that, that I like about the ordinary office now is that lots of pe people come to us in that kind of place, but they're really angry. Mm. 
And one of the things I've had, you know, I often get private messages from people saying, Dave, have you seen this comment from so-and-so? They're really angry, you know, you need to ditch them. And what I'm saying to people is, look, no, this is the place for them, right? They can come here, they can be angry, they can have a bit swear, they can behave badly, right? And they can work it out. And if anybody has to leave, if you're offended by that, you leave, you know? Um, and that's what happened to me. I mean, all, all my Christian friends just sort of disappeared. So what got you through? What got you through it? I mean, I see that guitar. I'm going to see if you're going to play me a tune after. But, but what, <laughs> what, you know, what did what did you know? You said you were drinking everything. You were getting angry and that. But what was the um, what was the equilibrium in your life that you found to kind of calm the storm? It, it was my. It was realizing, you know, that my wife had had enough. Yeah. Um, that's never been a negotiable thing for me. You know, um, she stood, you know, I, I always say that, you know, um, when when the priest said to Denise, you know, for better or for worse, I don't think she realised how much of the worst there would be, you know, but she stood by me through all of it. Um, and the thought of losing, you know, was just, I couldn't, couldn't bear it. Yeah. Um, and coming so that, to, that coming to terms... And coming to terms with the 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 loss of your sight, how did you reconcile that as a to, you know with your Christian faith? What happened? Um, I don't think I've ever blamed God for 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 the loss of my sight. I've 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 shouted at him about the way I've been treated because of my sight loss. Um, but I don't think I've ever blamed him for it. Um. For me, it's it's kind of you know, when when people do the why me thing, it's kind of well well, well why not? Mm. Um, you know the the theology of disability is kind of an emerging thing, and the thing that appeals to me about it is that this picture of you know the Jesus that ascended into heaven ascended with his wounds. Um, I remember when. Um, Stephen Hawking died, there was a cartoon doing the rounds on social media of Stephen Hawking outside the pearly gates in his in his wheelchair, getting out of his wheelchair and walking in there. And I thought, well, well, why would that be? You know, it that's who he was. And my blindness is is so so much part of me. Yeah. That it that it's who I am, you know? Yeah. So how, I, were, you, I how were you treated, Dave? How how were you treated? You know when you you say um, how you were treated. Tell us about that. It's it's bad. I mean, getting political, I suppose. But but the Tories the Tories have turned people against disabled people, and so you get you get stupid comments. You know if. I mean, I've got, you know, I've got no sight in one eye and I've got a small amount of sight in the other that comes and goes, but I like to use it as much as I can use it. So if I'm if I'm out shopping with Denise and I pick something off a shelf and hold it really close, I can make out the picture, but I can't make out the words. But, you know, I know enough, like, think, you know, things that you buy all the time. I know what a tin of Heinz beans looks like sort of thing. 
So I just pick something up off the shelf, you know, but if I pick something up off the shelf and hold it in front of my face, someone else will make a comment, look at that, you're supposed to be blind, look. You know, what What the hell's it got to do with anybody else? Well, what I'm doing, you know, you, you get that. Um, and, and a lot worse. Um, the, the first day I came home with a guide dog, one of our neighbours came out into the street and, and went like this to me. How many fingers? You know, if you can see my fingers, you don't need a guide dog, you know. Mm. Um, I'm not alone in this. You know, I know lots of blind people who are having this kind of treatment every day. Yeah. Um, and, and Dave, what, what do you miss, if you don't mind me asking, what do you miss most about not being able to see? Driving. That might sound like a silly question, but... Driving. Driving. It's the independence of it. I mean... You know, my wife drives and she'll take me anywhere I want to go, but she works, so I have to wait till she's free to take me. It's that thing of, you know, being able to just pick up your car keys and, and go whenever you want to go. Yeah. Um, I miss that. Um, probably that more than anything. Um, I miss reading sleeve notes. <laughs> On CDs, yeah. <laughs> um, there was no bigger thrill for me than than going and buying a new album and and on the way home, on the metro or whatever, <laughs> yeah, reading yeah. the cover notes on the way home. Yeah, I miss that a lot. And this all led to you forming a disability in Jesus, didn't it? What was what? I mean, it's quite a big shift. That's a big thing to take on, and and it it went on to be very successful. What was your what was your driving force? Was it your own experience to, and, and to help others? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I was involved in a project working for the RNIB on a project. And they sent me this pack with all these stats in it. And it said that 38% of the UK population had um, a, either a serious illness or long-term disability. And I remember I read that one Saturday afternoon and then the Sunday morning I was standing at the back of church and I was thinking, well, 38% of these people aren't. So where are they? And the truth is that the majority of disabled and seriously ill people no longer come to church. And it, and it kind of really hit me just as, as suddenly as that really, that like... yeah. Where are they? You know, the the ones, the disabled people that, you know, every church can talk about somebody they know with some, some big disability and what they've overcome and things. But they're, they're the minority. I mean, I tell people, you know, there are only 2,800 guide dog owners in the UK. But there are 2.1 million people on the visual impairment register. Mm -hmm. So where are the rest of them? You know, yeah. the people you see out with a guide dog of really, a, you know, a minuscule minority. Of, yeah. Gosh, that's quite people. a powerful statistic, that. It's huge. And so that kind of drove me into, into that, you know. And then um, meeting Bill and Katie and, and, and you know, Katie Tuttling's got cerebral palsy and, and has a bit of a hard time. It's hard enough being a woman priest, but being a woman priest with cerebral palsy the kind of some of the abuse that Katie was getting was was awful, you know. Um, and and 
Bill has had struggles with mental health and and had a very kind of unsympathetic hearing from several quarters, you know. So we decided we were going to do it. And we we ran it. Well, they're still going. I, I moved on to do the ordinary ops because it was becoming so so busy on its own, you know. Yeah. And it has come very busy on its own. Tell people who might be interested to check it out, where they can go and what they might find there, Dave. So it's www.theordinaryoffice.co.uk and you will find the sets of the daily prayers in all the different forms um, and you'll find a little bit of other information about the other things that Katie, uh, that Rebecca and I were involved with. Just tell people about Rebecca because obviously she's your... Um... You're, you know, I've I don't know. Doing, straight, I've, straight... I've been doing the office on my own for a, a, a couple of years, and I didn't know Rebecca. Um, and she contacted me. I, I'd, I'd been kind of asking people for help on Twitter, saying I was struggling on my own, and she offered to help. And it turns out we're from. She she doesn't live up up here now, but she's from South Shield, which is just a mile down the road from me. So we're kind of soulmates in the terms that we're both Jodies, so there's a kind of common culture there as well. Um, and Rebecca's got a real heart for things like safeguarding, gender issues. She's taken me into areas that I would never have dreamed of going. And I can't believe that some of the things that you know, some of the areas that we're in now that I would never have dared to go. I would be, I would have been frightened to go. Yeah. Um, she's incredibly brave that way, and, and I love it. And and now as a chap in your 60s, you say, you know, what, um, where, you know, how did, what spiritually sustains you? Is it the capacity to just carry on doing the ordinary office? Or, do, you know, do you, you're in a very special part of the world in Jarrow. I was lucky enough to come there on pilgrimage when I was first ordained and um, there's some incredible sites up where you are. Just just tell us about... I'm, I'm still incredibly influenced by the whole Celtic Christian stuff. Um, I spend a lot of time on Holy Island. Um, there's a church in Northumberland called Old Buick. I spend a lot of time there. Um, I spend a lot of time ministering this monastery up in um, kind of borders of County Durham and Northumberland as well. Um, that that whole kind of all the Celtic saints have been a big influence on me. Um, the Celtic hospitality for me that's that's the key. It's about hospitality. You know, I'm not out to convert people. I'm out to make people welcome. Um. I don't see converting people as my business. I see people making people welcome as my business. Mm. And it's God's business what happens after that. Yeah. You know? Um, here, here to that. I think uh, I think that's one of the church problems, isn't it? We the, the biggest thing I've been learning in the last couple of years, I keep going back to the, the call of the apostles, you know, and, and Jesus saying to them, you know, will you come? Yeah. And, and you know, the ones that were kind kind of respond, I need to go and sort this out. No, no, you know, will you come? Just will you? And that's all I'm saying to people. Look, you know, 
there's a bunch of us on this on this journey on a pilgrimage. We don't know where it's going. No. We don't know what he's asking of us. What we do know is it's a great place to be. And so I'm saying to people, will you come? Yeah, lovely. And then there will be people, Dave, of faith watching this who are thinking, I'd like to pray for uh, the ordinary office. Is there anything we can pray for, for you and your community? Um, for, for the kind of uncertainty that we live with. I mean, like I say, we don't know where we go. You know, a couple of years ago, we weren't involved with safeguarding. We weren't in, involved with trans people, you know. I'm a product of my 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 generation and and, and my upbringing, you know. Yeah. Um, in the area that I live in, in you know, at Jara, um, I wouldn't know where there are any trans people in Jara. Um, so the thought of meeting my first trans person was like daunting because I I, I didn't want to put my foot in it. Yeah. Because I've not met any before. So you don't know how to deal with it. You don't know what to say. What to, you know, and and we're being led into all these areas of of places where I've never been before, that I'm happy to be, but that I'm still really nervous about as well because I just don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I think that's wonderfully honest, and I think a lot of Christians can learn from that. You know, I've I've had people who are trans on the Godcast, and uh, a bit like yourself, Dave. You know, you're a bit little bit anxious because you you may not have met them or been in their company before. And I think that can apply to disabled people. Some people just don't know how to approach it or respond. And... I had a one year we went at, at Synod in, in, in York. Um, I got there on the Friday before Bill and Katie and I had all the exhibition stand kit with me. Uh, my wife took me down to York. She had to go back home to work. So she literally dropped me on the curb with my luggage, my guide dog, and the entire contents of our exhibition stand, and left me sitting on the path, waiting for Bill and Katie to arrive. And up comes Bob Callahan from Inclusive Church that I'd not met before, and um, asked who I was, and I told him what, you know. He disappeared, and he came back with a trolley, and he loaded all this kit onto the trolley, and he took me into the exhibition hall, and he set up the exhibition stand. Then he took... Jarvis, my guide dog, for a walk and spent him and picked up the poop and all of that. <laughs> and I hadn't met this bloke, you know. That night at, at evening meal, clergy were coming up to me saying, so you're friends with Bob Callahan, you do know he's gay, you know, and that inclusive church lot, you know. You're, you're never going to get well thought of if you hang about with them. Really? Right. Well, that changed my mind on things. <laughs> that made me more determined to hang about with them, you know. Um, and I've been made so welcome by by that community. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Likewise. And I, what I say is, you know, how can I ask for equality for me as a disabled person and then deny equality to someone else? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, David, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. This 30 minutes was absolutely shot by. I, I can see your, your guitar and, and, you know, I know the Celtic spirituality, you know, music's important, as is music in the northeast. Can I can I tempt you to play us out with something, Dave? Oh, you... I don't know. Come on. I'll try. I'll try. <laughs>
just before you you finish, just uh, to remind people that uh, go and check Dave's uh, site out, the Ordinary Official. They're on Twitter and online, and uh, I've been looking. It's a really great site, and and Dave, uh, as you play us out, thanks for coming on, mate. It's been lovely chatting. Been a pleasure. <laughs> I should have chewed up before I started really. <laughs> Sorry. Go for it. Not the spirit is willing, but now. <laughs> <laughs>